Welcome to the Renew Life Church Podcast. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope this message encourages you. If you were not in the first service, my name is Ed Trout, spelled T-R-A-U-T. I have one wife for 43 years, and I have three children and nine grandchildren. I have one of them here today. Abigail, stand up. This is my sixth, one of my, not my eldest, but she's my 16-year-old. And she's my designated driver. We drove him from San Antonio. She's a, she's a character, let me tell you. All right, so what else can I tell you? I was born and raised in a city called Cape Town, South Africa. I was born there because my mother exiled the Holocaust, being a German Jewess. She, she and her parents had gotten on a refugee ship that took them from the north of Berlin to Cape Town. And that's where I was born. And then I got born again when I was 13. Thank God for child evangelists who came to my school. A little lady that uh, came in our assembly one morning and told us about Jesus who loved me. And I was so thrilled about that. I followed her to the nearest crusade she had at one of the schools, one of the churches. And there they wrote me to Sunday school for three years. And I finally heard the gospel and came to church. And they, may, they preached the hell out of me for five Sundays. I kept getting saved. It was a wonderful, wonderful nostalgic experience that I will never, never forget and was so precious to my life. I was a pastor for some time. I went to Bible school some years later. I went to Bible school and became a pastor. And then from that, God called me to the prophetic ministry. It was very traumatic for me because I didn't want to do it. I had two children and a wife, and I felt I had responsibility. I have more children now, but at the time, I was just a young family, and I felt responsible as a pastor. I had to take care of my family. When he asked me to be a prophet, I thought, I don't know what a prophet is, and I certainly can't train them. He asked me to train them. I said, I can't do that. I don't know what prophets are always in trouble. And so I told God... <laughs> It's true. So I told him, you have to find someone else, and, and uh, I've got responsibility. I've, if I didn't have a wife and children, no problem. And a few months went by, and on the way to church one Monday morning, across a railway track, the vehicle died in the, on the track, and the train was a-coming. And we fled the vehicle, and it hit the vehicle, and the voice said to me, you're so responsible, you almost killed your family. Give them to me, I'll take better care of them. And that was 37 years ago, and I'm still doing that today. I average about 28 church services a month, average. Uh, I go all over the world continually, different countries, and and then I have encounters where I actually train people that are prophetic in any way, shape, or form, and it's very intensified, and we have lots of them all the time. We have one coming up in Nashville, Tennessee in a few days, in fact, this week, and after that, we have one in Boston, and we have in San Antonio, we have them all over, so you can please look on our website, propheticlife.com, and check out and come and join one of those. It's only 30 people at a time, and it's very much a discipleship, and so I do, that's what I do for a living for many years, and I feel very thankful that God would even use me. I'm grateful for it. So now you're all about me. I live in San Antonio now for 22 years. I'm what's known as a born-again Jewish African-American. <laughs> and they ain't nothing like the real thing. <laughs> Baby. You know, I've got a sense of humor. You can tell, right? I'm, I'm, when God called me, I told him, you know, I'm, I'm Jewish and we've got a sense we have a, we're wit. So Jews are full of wit. I said, I'm always in trouble. And so when I was prophetic, I think to be, they must eat locusts and wild honey and wear camels because they're miserable looking people. So I was always comical. And so when in a conference one time, some spiritual people pulled me aside and wanted to get me delivered of this frivolous spirit. And they, they cast it out of me and I coughed. And then when they left me, came back seven times stronger. And so... <laughs> I would like to share with you, if you'd please turn your Bibles to the book of Psalms. 
Psalms is the smallest in the middle of your physical Bible. If you have a electronic, just look it up. It's Psalms 105 and verse 16. I, my home language is not English, so if you hear me with an accent, they clear have an accent. But uh, I speak, well, it's known as a derivative of Dutch, it's a called Afrikaans. And text redet auch Deutsch, wenn dem Deutsch reden können. Gibt da jemand Deutsch da? Wer? Wo bist du? Bist du Deutsch wirklich? Von Deutschland aus? Wo dann? Wo dann hin? Wo? Wo kommst du genau? Von Mexiko. Gibt da Deutsch in Mexiko? Wirklich? Auch Deutsch. Oh, wunderschön. Freut, freut mich, dass du da bist. Herzlich willkommen. Okay, so, that's how you'll speak when you go to heaven. Okay. <laughs> Gloria a Dios. <laughs> Psalm 105, and I'm reading today, for, unusually, I don't often read from this translation called The Passion, but I like the way The Passion put these verses, and I want to share with you if you'll let me. It says in verse 16, so God... God decreed a famine. God decreed a famine on the land of Canaan, cutting off their supply of food. He had, he had already sent a man ahead of his people to Egypt. It was Joseph who was sold as a slave. His feet were bruised by strong shackles and his soul was held by iron. God's promise in verse 19 of chapter Psalm 105 promised that Joseph purged his character until it was time for his dreams or what he spoke prophetically to come true. Joseph is so much like many of us in this room. He was born to a family he didn't choose. You can pick your friends, but you're stuck with your family. And all families are dysfunctional, whether they tell you otherwise or not. That's why we only have one Thanksgiving. It's all we can cope with a year. <laughs> we're happy when they come, and we're much happier when they go. That's why it's called Thanksgiving. <laughs> Thanks for coming. Thanks for going. Anyway. <laughs> As Joseph was born to a crazy family. His dad walked with a limp. His dad was taught by his dad's mother to lie and cheat. So he cheated his own father, whose sight was failing him, for the blessing of the firstborn. He wasn't the firstborn, this man called Jacob. And so he had a meeting with God, and he had also robbed his brother of that birthright. And so years went by, and he had been met with God, and his name was turned to Israel, which anything with L in it in Hebrew means to do with God. Israel means to having fought with, contend with, having met with, having encountered. Israel, Hebrew is very, very descriptive in its short words, and it has never changed in language. Israel means having contended with God. And so that he walked with a limp to remind him always that he met with the Lord. And this occasion asking God to bless him. But he met a girl that he was very much attracted to. She was seriously gorgeous. And so he was willing to work seven years to be able to marry her. You can't get a man to wait seven days, let alone seven years, but he did. After seven years, he was, got married. And on his wedding morning, lo and behold, he woke up in his wedding bed, not next to Rachel, but next to Leah. Now, please understand, Leah was the eldest, and she was not quite as pretty as Rachel. And to add to the sorrow, she was cross-eyed. The Bible says she had weak eyes. So imagine waking up to, hey, what's up? <laughs> it's a scary thing. It's a scary thing to wake up to someone you didn't want to get married to. Boo, what are you doing here? Get out of my bed. 
She said, no, you married me last night. And so it was a trauma for him. He was tricked. And uh, so he went and pursued Rachel, married her some seven days later and worked seven more years for her. And all this time, Leah gets pregnant. So does Leah's servant and Rachel's servant. But Rachel struggles. The one he really wanted and loved struggled to get pregnant and became a real issue. So much so that they made fun of her and mocked her, made her upset her continually. And they were trying to have a baby. And finally, the very first child to be born, that was Joseph. And it seems to me he was favored by his father just because he got born. He said he had other brothers, but they didn't have favor. This boy was favored before he even came out of that womb. Now, you are favored of God just because you got born again. But the difficulty is you think God's favor makes everyone like you. Actually, your favor makes people jealous of you and don't like you. Get to work and they stop talking and walk in the door. They, there's never coffee when you want coffee and the coffee pot's always empty. And they talk behind your back. They blame you. And you think it's God's favor. God's favor works in a different way in a much long-term plan. And Joseph got himself in trouble because he was favored of God. He has a dream. He has no idea what these dreams mean. His dreams are usually for the older generation. The scripture says young men will, dream, will see visions and old men will dream dreams because they have more understanding. And so he dreams and he tells his brothers that what the, he just tells them what he dreamt and they didn't like it because they understood what he was saying and as did his parents and they'd all bow down to him. But he had no clue at a 17-year-old boy that their jealousy would have him become a sold as a slave to Egyptians. Now, when he came in Egypt, I know he was looking for his dad and mom to come find him. So oftentimes in our lives, things happen. We did not so. We did not do something to deserve. We wonder, how the hell did we end up in this hell? What did we do for this to happen to us? You often wonder about that. You wonder, why did my life end up? I didn't plan this. Why did my life end up like this? And it was part of a long plan that God had. Joseph had a very significant role to play, as do you. And God was grooming him for one single moment that would change our lives. Many of us in this room have moments we regret that we wish we could go back and just have done it a little differently. And there are moments in our lives that God prepares us for that change everything. We live in these moments, just for a moment that does change everything. And Joseph was being groomed for a moment that he'd appear before Pharaoh. That moment before Pharaoh, it would change the whole course of events because God had planned this. God wanted to save people in Midland. He wanted people to get born again and have eternal life. To be able to do that, we needed a Savior. To have a Savior... We needed a people that could introduce or lay a foundation so that salvation could come because we needed the law to point to salvation and grace. Otherwise, people wouldn't know they'd need it in the first place. To have that, God couldn't evolve a nation. He couldn't evolve a people. He couldn't take a tribe and have one religion. No, he had to, he had to birth a nation that would be completely identified as God's people. How are we going to do this? So God decided that he's going to take the seed from the promised land and impregnate the womb of a foreign country called Egypt. And so he brings the seed there, and this little baby grows 400 years. That little tribe grew under enormous pressure of slavery. And they became so united because they weren't Egyptians, they weren't part of Egypt, they were in Egypt, but they became united under the oppression. And they kept calling to God for help. 
And they became one people. After 400 years, there were 600,000 of them. And finally, that baby that would bring forth eventually salvation, as Jesus said, salvation from the Jews, would be ready to be born. And because it was ready to be born, the whole nation began to have its first birth pain. It was called a plague. The whole nation shook under the first plague and soon got over it. It wasn't seemed to be as bad as the second one. And each plague got more intense as the birth process began and got closer to getting born. And like every pregnancy, when the baby's about to be born, there's a showing of blood on the doorposts. There were blood on the doorposts and babies ready to be born. Even the water broke right through the Red Sea. And the baby came out the other side. And there was this baby now, without needing a parent, needing to be mothered and nurtured because it's just been born, newborn, didn't interference from Egyptians or from Assyrians or from anyone else. And here they were in a desert alone with God for 40 years, being nurtured and given all the boundaries and diapers they needed to grow up and to crawl and to walk and finally to go and possess the land through hardship so they become strong. And they became very strong under David and rich under Solomon. And like any teenager, we knew it all and just got a little bit too confident and were carried off by the Babylonian capture and all the different Assyrian wars and possessions and carrying on over the years. And they had a history unfold of thousands of years of a nation until it was time for the Savior that was planned to be born. The nation had established throughout the world as a, as a God's nation. And the Savior came in an obscure little manger, tucked away, only for those hungry looking for him. He was born to be a Savior, to die for the sins of the world and induce a new kingdom. And Joseph had a role to play because he had to get them from the promised land into Egypt. And to do that, God sent, them, sent him, but he didn't know that. He didn't know his life was born for that. All he knew was, Dad didn't come and get me. I was Dad's favorite, and here I am a slave. I, I, was, had, a, I had a dream that, that all bowed down to me, and the very opposite happened. You get a prophetic word, and you always think it's going to happen right now, and it's going to happen all the way you want, but truly, uh, often a prophecy will bring the first, the exact opposite before the promise of God happens. You get a prophecy, God's going to prosper, you may get back, go bankrupt first before you get really rich. Who knows how God's things work are very different. His ways are very different to ours. And Joseph experienced slavery before he experienced any kind of success. 13 years of being a slave and then falsely accused and put into prison. You've got to know, he's got to wonder so many times, God, why have you forsaken me? What did I do wrong? Why have you left me in this situation? And God is preparing him for a moment. When the baker and the wine taster came to the, into the prison, he told them, tell the king it's me. He was looking for an out. He wanted to use his gift to get out, and God said, no, nah, you haven't got it right yet. Because when he finally appeared before Pharaoh, when he finally appeared before Pharaoh, it wasn't his gift that made Pharaoh like him. The gift only made room for him, got him there. What really touched the heart of Pharaoh was Joseph did this. After interpreting the two dreams, he says to the Pharaoh, Now, Pharaoh, find someone in your nation that you can trust. And he lays out the plan to redeem this nation or save the nation. And the Pharaoh is so impressed because he comes from jail. He didn't try to get himself out. He was more interested in saving a nation that wasn't his than having freedom. To have that heart. That's why the Pharaoh said, Can we find in all of Egypt a man with a heart like this? He wasn't interested in his own, own 
in Darby, his own problem, his own situation, interested in saving a nation that wasn't even his. And God had to work that in him, 13 years of slavery, two years of prison, to get that attitude, to have that kind of heart. And God will put us, allow us to go through things in our life to change and to work things in our hearts and our lives. God will allow things because he knows what we need. I was speaking in the first session about how God knew full well Peter would deny the Lord. He knew full well he would deny him. He said, in fact, you'll deny me three times. He didn't try and stop him. He knew he was going to. And he was quite okay with it. And when you've come back, then I want you to encourage your brethren. So you're going to go through something, but you're already restored. Not going to be restored, you're restored. Now, before you do it. And I wondered why God allowed that. But I realized that Peter had such a problem in his heart because he was so insecure, he was desperately needing to prove to Jesus he was important and, and someone special. As many of us here, we've had our difficulties in our childhood. My mother told me that my childhood were the best years of my life, but I've learned that my childhood is something I spend the rest of my life trying to fix. Because when you're a child, everything is so magnified. Everything that happens to you seems ten times worse, and you need to be healed. Even though you get born again, a new creation, your mind's still messed up. And Joseph was no different. He, was, he went behind a curtain. like He's the most successful man in Egypt, and he cries behind the curtain like a baby when he sees his brothers. Because he's just as human as you and I, and things that happened in his childhood really affected him. And so I understand that, that God uses these things in our lives. And this Peter had a crack in his soul because he, he was so trying to please Jesus. He walked in the water. He wanted to make a tent when the Elijah and Moses came to in the transfiguration. He, he, when Jesus washed the disciples' feet, he says, no, you can't wash mine. I must wash yours. He had to try and win Jesus' affections because John seemed to have it already. He was very threatened by John. And the Lord knew the only way to heal Peter's heart was to allow him to fail so rotten, so badly, so all the way through that he would have to depend upon the Lord. That if he came back to encourage the brethren, it had to be not in his own strength but in God's. So God will actually allow crisis in your life to get you free of some of the stuff, to get you into a place where you're completely abandoned to him. A lot of Christians give their hearts to Jesus because they want to go to heaven and they want to get saved and serve God. And that's great. But not everyone I know really has given their lives to the Lord. While you're making your own decisions, while you're the boss of your own destiny, then it's your life, not his. If you give your lives to him, then you don't do anything without consulting him or allowing him to take control. And when you do that, that the fun begins, the adventure begins, because you never know what he's got next. And you trust him. Every Christian I know argues with God, whatever God says, and we want to do God's will. You know, you've heard of David, King David, right? Two, okay, you heard of him, right? Thank you. So you heard of him. Thank you. King David was a man after God's own heart. Did you know that? Am I speaking too fast for you? You all follow me, right? So make sure you don't miss anything. David, David was a man after God's own heart, and he was, boy, he was something else. He was a throwback. Red hair, red complexion, not typical Jew at all. In fact, his dad didn't see any potential in him. He brings the seven boys to the, to the sacrifice. But David, now he, he, we, don't know who, we don't know who his mom is. No reference to his mother. He must have been a, she could have not been Jewish. We don't know. And yet God chose him. And he had a problem with women. He had 300 wives and concubines, David had. And he still had to have another man's wife, not in a moment of weakness. He planned the whole thing. He's in his palace looking down at this girl. And why is she bathing outside? I want to know. I'm going to ask her one day. How did your mama raise you? What kind of woman are you? Anyway, the point is, she's out there bathing, and he's looking. 
It's bad enough looking, but he inquired, who's that? Who, who is that? And then they tell us, it's someone's wife, married. Her name is Bathsheba, married, Uriah, married. So he says, well, let her come. Why, why, why would you do that, David? I just told you she's married. But I'm not going to do anything. <laughs> Don't you trust me? Yeah. So she sends for her, makes her pregnant, and that thing, that's over. No. He organizes and orchestrates that her husband gets killed, and God says, man, at my own heart. I'm going, that doesn't make any sense to me. I had to find out what in the world would God like about that, G, that David. Then I found it in the Bible of all places. Do you want to know what God liked about him? Anybody want to know? Two of you. Please, you must not get too excited when I speak. It's really overwhelming. It's in Acts chapter 13, 22. It says, after removing Saul as king, God gave them David. And he testified, I found David, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I ask him. He will do everything I ask him. When I read that, I said, but I do everything you ask. And God laughed at me. He don't even hear half the things I say, let alone do them. <laughs> do, do. But I found out we really struggle to hear God and do what he says. If I prophesied to you to go to Hawaii on vacation for a week, you'd be gone. But if I prophesied you're supposed to sow $1,000 in the offering, you'll break out in a sweat. And you'll need a God to confirm it. And you'll need a second pr prophecy and, and, and a fleece and the Lord knows what else because you don't really want to do that. And many of God's people throughout the world struggled with God's purpose. Ananias in, in Acts is praying and God says, Ananias, yes, Lord, I want you to go to the house on Straight Street. There you'll find a man praying. His name is Saul. And he's seen you come in a vision to pray and hands on him. <gasps> Are you kidding me? Have you heard about this man? Let me tell you. Let me tell you. I know you God. I know you know stuff. But let me tell you. You obviously don't know about this one. This man's coming to hurt Christians with real authority. That's what he says in Acts. Arguing. Always arguing. Moses argued with God. Didn't want to do stuff. I can't, I can't talk properly. And, and you, you argued about everything. So many people argue with God as do you and I. Of course, we don't use that language. We use more spiritual language. I just don't understand what the Lord's doing. Yeah, God is this big and you that big. How are you going to understand God? Get a grip. You, God has dumbed down the Bible enough, as dumbed down as we can go, because we just can't grasp a whole lot. So you cannot understand God's ways. So watch higher. Can you say amen to that? So God's schemes and plans are much bigger. You, you sitting here today, there's a plan and a motion like Joseph could not see. He had a role to play. In fact, he had some comfort in his heart when his brothers finally came and he cried and he told them, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. And he said, for the saving of many lives. So in his mind, he was the key to bring food to his families and to the tribes of Israel. But the truth is, if I sat him down, which I read to you how that God decreed a famine. He, he actually planned it, the whole famine, the need for it. He created the whole need. So if I sat Joseph down and said, Joseph, let me explain to you. That your role wasn't just to get them to eat some food then. No. Your role was, in all your life, was to get the people in Egypt so that they can come and become a nation inside of Egypt. And when they birth a nation, then comes the Savior. So if you had not gone, we wouldn't have had an Israel. We wouldn't have had a Savior. We wouldn't have had people sitting here in Midland saved and born again, going to heaven. You played a vital role in a much bigger plan than you could see. As do you. 
There are people in your lives that you are touching and things you're doing that is very significant. You've had so many questions. God, why this happened? I don't, I don't understand these things. Yeah, there are things you'll die and not understand because God's plans are so much bigger. Joseph didn't know why he died not knowing about the great plan of God of salvation that he played a role in. And each one of you have a role to play. And all you've got to do is do what God says. Don't get too complicated. You see through a glass dimly lit. You have only a little bit of understanding, very little. You've got to trust him. If you knew what God knew, you wouldn't need to trust him. That's why we've got to trust him, because we don't know. We can't figure it out. Even if he explains to it, it'll be too complicated. We've got to trust him. He knows what he's doing. Can you say amen? We hope you loved our podcast today. You can find out more about our ministry at RenewLifeChurch.com or you can check us out on Facebook and Instagram. Have a great rest of your day.